this episode of Nurturing Wellbeing with Kurt Kelly, I get to interview Christina Rosinski. She's with Child Trends. Now, Child Trends is a national organization. They actually work in the areas of making sure that organizations are spending money wisely, getting the most out of the dollars that have been provided for them, and also better ways to be able to take care of their finances. You're going you're gonna to enjoy this conversation. See, what we do in child welfare is done from the heart, but we still have to run it as a solid business. And I think you're really going to enjoy this interview with Child Trends and Christina Rosinski. Christina, I'm very excited about this interview. I'm so glad that you're here and, and came and spent some time with us. And one of the reasons I'm excited about it is because we've had a great relationship with Child Trends over the years. You and I were talking off camera about some of the work that we did uh, six, seven, eight years ago, where you took the expertise of your national organization and looked at some work that we were doing here in Florida. And we came and asked you to validate the principles that we were using to actually look at the numbers that we were going to be asking for. I was very impressed that you came back with such a thoughtful way of saying, yeah, you guys were right on the mark here, and here's some areas that you might want to consider. And I know that you're engaging a lot uh, with some of the big trends that are taking place uh, nationally and so forth. So I want to let you start. Would you just tell us a little bit about what Child Trends does, and then we can talk about what's maybe where we need to be looking at some things in the future. Absolutely, and thanks for having me. So Child Trends is the nation's leading nonprofit who focuses on research and data for children and families. We do research on a variety of issues ranging from early childhood development and things like home visiting or child care to education, school-based interventions, child welfare, of course, a whole variety of issues. Uh, we're nonpartisan, nonprofit. Uh, we do a lot of different kinds of work. So we do everything from evaluation of programs, you know, is this thing that we are doing working, to uh, research into the literature, summarizing what we, what the field knows, where we need to go, what gaps are, a whole range of everything research and evaluation related. And so what, uh, from my perspective as a former legislator, we could get information like this. Certainly the, the organizations themselves, the literature reviews, all of those type of things are really important. But as, a, as policymakers, uh, when they get information that's been uh, addressed by child trends, reviewed, uh, and in some cases validated the numbers and so forth, there's a lot of confidence that what you're saying is, is accurate. And therefore, they can take their policy and make sure they provide, in many cases, the resources to implement some of these new and innovative policies and ways of looking at things. Yesterday, we had a speaker that was talking about new ways of looking uh, into the arena of addressing issues dealing with children and families. And some of it was very highly creative. And I thought to myself, as I was listening to him, like, that's really exciting. I had some legislators listening to it, but that would take some real we would need to drill into the numbers to say, here's what it would mean. Here's going to be the long-term effect, long-term savings, but here's the investment. Let's talk a little bit about some of the trends that uh, you're seeing uh, either, either, either after FFPSA or uh, what you've seen happening uh, in America today. Absolutely. So we at Child Trends, we do a Travel for Financing survey every other year. Our latest survey is from state fiscal year 2020. 
And in that survey, we found that a lot of the child welfare financing world has remained relatively stable. So things like uh, states using mostly state and local funds as opposed to federal funds to fund their child welfare system, uh, findings related to what child welfare agencies spend their dollars on. So for example, about half of child welfare agency expenditures are going to out-of-home placement as opposed to other uh, services like prevention. Uh, So all of those things have remained stable. But in terms of what's new and what's different, uh, FFPSA has definitely started to uh, impact the data that we're seeing through our survey. So this latest survey, again, was from state fiscal year 2020. So for most states, that's July 2019 to June 2020. So very, COVID, yes, right. very yeah. early days of COVID, very early days of Family First implementation. Uh, so we're starting to get a sneak preview into what Family First is meaning for child welfare agencies. For example, with the um, introduction of Family First, we also saw the end of the Title IV-E waivers that many states had, including Florida. Florida. Right. Uh, and so we're seeing states moving away from the waivers and starting to implement Family First, but it's been very slow. Uh, so, for example, in the 2020 data, we only saw nationally about $5.5 million being used for the new 4 e prevention services program. So very small. Um, obviously, that I'm sure that's increased since then, but our latest data is from 2020. Uh, so it's starting to, to show up, but I'm really looking forward to the next survey that we're getting ready to put out into the field, which will cover 2022. So during the implementation of FFPSA, and there was the period of time where it passed in one week uh, in a reconciliation bill, um, not a good way of passing this type of policy. Um, and I was not happy about it. And so I'm up there because Florida did have an extensive waiver, probably one of the most extensive waivers. A waiver simply means that we have the ability to utilize the funds that come in from the federal government in ways that we feel that's best needed. And we frankly had a fairly robust prevention process that was being utilized. And I went there and talked to them and said, really, you need to allow us to keep our waiver because we built a fantastic model. We went from one of the worst in America to one of the best in America because there was this flexibility in funding. And we thought that flexibility, instead of a one-size-fits-all coming out of Washington, D.C., telling us how to spend, if you don't wear green socks on Thursday, you can't spend your money like this. And, And instead of having that, allow the people, the professionals to know what's best to meet the needs of children and families. And, and we saw that great effect. I'm now looking, and I, we're talking to our people, now that we've lost the waiver, and when I talked with them, when I was in the halls, I said, guys, I don't think this is going to be good. And they actually, they actually rec- recognized that. They said, but we have to look at it from a national perspective. We have to be holistic for all the states. I know Florida's done great, but we can't just carve you out. We have to, I don't know why they can't, but, uh, but that, was their, that was their intent. I am now wanting us to go back and say, because we have seen a slipping backwards. We're seeing that some of the drawdown that we would like to be able to put in place is not there. So you can't go out and hire services with no money. And I do agree with you that probably most of our intense dollars are spent. You use the word uh, stable. I use the word flat. (laughs) Uh, The funding has been flat um, with with accelerating expenses that have come into the system. 
but you've said a good portion of it is used for out-of-home care. Yeah, of course, you have to do that. You have to have the child, when the child has to be removed, you want to get it in the right, safest uh, environment. You want to get them back to the family if possible. You want to spend the resources there. And with our loss of the waiver, I believe that it has impacted on that. So I'm going to be interested in coming back to you guys at some point in time. And, and we may be uh, looking at some ways of, of, of trying to validate that as we go back to Washington and say, okay, the states are, we're the laboratory of democracy. And I'm interested in allowing you to see, and would you be willing to at least address that it has impacted this and maybe some lessons you can learn from Florida, kind of like what we did when we got you guys to validate our, our allocation model years ago. These trends that you see, let's, let's talk about what are some of them? What are your studies showing we ought to be putting our emphasis on? So in terms of the highest level trends, so nationwide child welfare agency expenditures are stable, uh, like I mentioned. But what's interesting is that federal share of federal dollars versus state and local, the federal dollars have been going down. Uh, state and local has been going up, and they more or less offset each other, resulting in an overall stable trend. Is that across the entire states, all the states out there? Well, that's the national finding when you combine all the states together, okay. but every state is so Somewhat. different. I had a former uh, colleague who I, I looked up to in this field, uh, Don Winstead. Oh, who yeah. you may know. Oh, sure. From Florida. Uh, yes, from Florida. And I've heard him say many times that if you've seen one child welfare system, you've seen, seen one, one child, child welfare, welfare system. system. Yes, yeah, exactly. And so the same is true when you think about just the financing piece as well. So it's really hard to say um, kind of globally which states are you know doing um, having that trend versus which ones aren't when you're just looking at the national picture. So that's why it's so important to look at the state by state findings. In terms of that federal side going down, it's so complex because there's, of course, there's some increases in some funding streams. So like Title IV-E has gone up in part because of Family First, um, but also because of the COVID relief dollars coming in. Uh, some of that allowed for more reimbursement through some of the 4E programs. Um, one of the COVID relief packages increased the federal medical assistance, uh, assistance percentage rate, which essentially meant that the federal government was kicking in a higher share of the costs under 4E. There's things like that happening, but then there's also other federal funding streams like temporary assistance for needy families or social services block grant. Those are seeing declines in terms of child welfare agency use of those funding streams. So there's this whole alphabet soup of funding sources that, you know, some are going up, some are going down. Uh, it's, it's a pretty complex system. Every year when the legislative budget comes out, of course, this is a Florida budget. I go in and I begin to look at the recurring, non-recurring state funds. And then I go and look at the trust funds that are coming out of the Fed. I, you know, and, and again, I served in the capacity in the House, uh, Florida House of Representatives. So I've been trained on how to look at these things. And you're right, it's alphabet soup. And I can't even remember. And especially now with FFPSA, how it all kind of came in and kind of it, it's like it changed the, the channels of funding and how it comes in. Um, I, I think the jury is still out. Uh, I, I believe that Washington and I'll give them credit. I think they intended well. They really did. And I also understand that they do have an obligation to look nationally at how things are done. So it may be being done and they could 
really learn some lessons in Minnesota or or Illinois or something. I don't mean to pick on those states, but I'm just saying that's that may be why they did what they did. By the way, we appreciate the focus on prevention. We really we uh, we really greatly appreciate more than anything else. I would love to never have to have a kid come into the, the out of home care. That's Pollyannish. It's not going to happen. And uh, I'd, I'd like to never have crime ever taking place, but it will. I mean, we, so we need to be prepared to do that the right way. But we also need to focus, I think, in this area of prevention, which is really what this whole intention was to preserve the family. However, I kept trying to tell Washington, learn from the laboratory. You did something. Don Winstead was the, really the architect of our 4E waiver. Dr. Nellius and Don Winstead worked tremendous on this. What did we learn? I kept saying, say, what did we learn? I think they want it. It's easier to sometimes come in and say, no, you're going to do it this way. What I've seen is I don't, I think there's been a, uh, it's been much slower in the implementation of, of, of the, the intent of the policy. You and I are talking about how we like policy. The intent of the policy with the funding that's coming behind it uh, has been much slower to be implemented. That's why your next studies that are coming are going to be really important for us. And I'm about ready to go back to Washington and say, okay, this is where it was strong. You need to work, you need to work with Florida. I'm not boasting, but Florida's got a really great system of care. Um, but I'm seeing you use the word uh, stability and I use the word flat. I think our results are flattening now because I think of the policies that have come out of DC. And then somehow Tallahassee has to, they have to tie into that. They have to, we, we're required in many cases to meet those if we're going to draw these funds down. And I think it's having an impact. So that's the big conversation we're having now inside of Florida. And I think we're going to have it across the nation as well. Child trends will play a major role in, in this conversation. And I believe that DC will be listening to you. Let's talk about that. Let's talk about how do you, once you do these studies, you don't just do it in a vacuum. You study them. How do you disseminate this and get people to say, okay, here is the science. Here's the science and the, the funding of the science. Here's what we need to be going. How do you do that? Uh, so, yes, great question. So, we try to disseminate through multiple channels. So, this is an example of Perfect. one of them. Uh, we also do uh, presentations to different kinds of audiences. So, recently, I spoke to the National Council of State Legislatures. Uh, they have a fellowship program for legislators who are interested in child welfare. And so there was recently a convening of that group, about 30 legislators who are really passionate about these topics. So I went and spoke to them, giving them the, the background on how child welfare systems are financed, making sense of this alphabet soup, what are the trends looking like, equipping them with their state's data and encouraging them to look through it and think that to themselves, what, doesn't, what don't I like here? What do I want to change and what's my role? in making that change. Um, at Child Trends, we do this survey at a national level. So right. it's you know at the 100,000 foot level. And so we put this data into the hands of folks who are working on the ground and equipping them with questions and ideas for, okay, now, now it's on you to take this to that next level. Um, one example is a few years back, we received a phone call from someone in Colorado who was looking at the data from the Child Welfare Financing Survey 
And they had great, insightful questions. You know, oh, I see we're not using that funding stream, but we did use that funding stream a couple of years ago. What happened? Or, oh, our funding has gone down a lot or has gone up a lot in this area. You know, why, why is that happening? And they were wonderful questions, but unfortunately, you know, this national survey is at such a high level, we couldn't answer that. So they wanted to dive deeper. And so we worked with them to do that next level of digging because what they found was that there was no one person in the state who had all of the answers. This is such a complex system, such a complex financing structure that everyone has their own piece of the puzzle. Some people have bigger pieces than others, um, but no one had the full comprehensive picture. So we worked with them and spoke to, must have been dozens of people in the state, uh, sifted through budget documents and other files to put together a comprehensive picture is of this is how your system is financed. This is how it works. These are the steps that it goes through just to get that most fundamental understanding for everyone in the state, be it advocates or child welfare leaders or legislators, just having that base understanding of how does this work? Because with that information, then you can see yourself fitting into that, that process of, okay, here's where my role could come into play. Here's what I could do to potentially change the way this works. Um, so that was a really interesting um, kind of next level deep dive into a state that helps. And I use that example a lot to kind of just illustrate to people how you can take this information, which is Honestly, it's at a very high level, but then take it to that next level and use it as a springboard. So almost a baseline of, of uh, modeling, of sort of a exactly. putting some type of modeling together that mm -hmm. a state could say. But since uh, back to the Winstead comment that you've seen one, you've seen one, uh, every state in the way they the way they implement it. And obviously in their sovereignty, they have the right to to want to put certain emphasis and so forth. Um it's always these best practices that where we've come. I, Florida, again, I, I will boast about the people. It's not me. I'm boast about the people that do the work here. But when we decided to make the change to community-based care, um, and, and the jury was out for a long time on this, uh, probably six to ten years about, you know, because it's, it's, it's kind of messy. Uh, community-based care is it's, uh, you got all these different groups doing their thing in their own community. What we found is is it, it's messy because it's not one size fits all. Well, in Florida, Miami is a lot different than Pensacola or Tallahassee or Jacksonville or my hometown, Ocala. I mean, it is, it is, it's all, they are all different communities. You get communities involved, boards involved. Now bring them involved because they see the problem. They want to come up with, I think, fungible solutions. So ones that are workable solutions. Uh, the state doesn't always work like that. And I guarantee you the feds don't always work like that. And so that's the part that I think is the biggest challenge. But with you guys going in and looking at things, we don't have to reinvent the wheel every single time. And we can learn from what's happening all over this baseline modeling type of thing. I, I know you don't, I don't know, you know, okay, here's a state plan and here's what it ought to look like. I realize that's not what you do. But if I were to call you to come in here to Florida and take a look at some of the things and maybe, I, of course, I would. I have one of the smartest people on the staff, Dr. Patricia Nellius, and she knows this stuff cold. And we've even talked about maybe looking at some of the positive effects that FFPSA has impacted Florida's model. 
but then some of the negative things, some of the things that we haven't been able to get accomplished. And like I said, some of the areas that we were really accelerating in, uh, all of a sudden just sort of breaks have hit, even with new funding that's come into the system, because we're now having to go put them into old modeling. But I would be interested in having maybe you guys come in and talk with us about that. But so any other national trends, let's, let's articulate a few trends that you're seeing, because I know your study is now looking at those. What are some of the things that you see? Something else that I find very interesting is in the realm of uh, child welfare agencies using children's social security benefits mm. for offsetting the costs of their foster care. Uh, this is a topic that's received a lot of attention in recent years. Uh, I can't tell you how many reporters have called me up wanting to talk about this. Uh, it's very controversial, child welfare agencies um, using the funds for this reason. So essentially how this works is that uh, children in foster care are often sometimes eligible for different social security funds like uh, supplemental security income, disability insurance, survivor's benefits. And child welfare agencies can become what's called a representative payee of, you know, to manage those funds when a child enters foster care. And in some cases, child welfare agencies then kind of recoup those dollars to pay for the children's cost of care. And so on the latest child welfare financing survey, we found that child welfare agencies' use of these dollars has decreased by about 3% between 2018 and 2020. That's you know a pretty small um, change, but I think it's interesting to note this given the momentum around this topic and how some states have begun to restrict this practice and instead are using those funds and kind of putting them aside for the child so that when they uh, reached age of 18, they have this kind of nest egg, so to speak, that they can use to help their transition, help with education, help with whatever needs that they may have at that time. So I'm I'm particularly interested in that topic and I'm looking forward to you know, the next few years seeing if that trend, if this was a one-time blip or if this is something that's continuing to change. Interesting. And so then it, it, it would be incumbent upon the state to pick up the difference in that. So it would, what, yeah. what they have. Here's what I'm thankful about child trends. At no time have you ever just said, listen, the solution is a bunch of more money. And I, I appreciate that. I'm a fiscal conservative. I believe that every dime that is spent, you ought to get a, you ought to get a dollar's worth of value out of it. But you do have to spend the dime. And it has to be shown that it's in the right places. That's where you guys are such a value to the, to the entire children and family world. I won't call it an industry because it's not an industry. The whole children and family world that we engage in is you come back in and say, Money could be better spent here. You would get greater return on your investment uh, for these lives of children and families if you did this. And then once you do this, we can go back and show that we've done these type of things. And we need more of that. We need, we, I, I'm, I'm very thankful in our relationship with you guys and what you've done. Any closing comments? Uh, I've really enjoyed this. I, I, I'm wanting you to give me like five things. If we do this, we'll settle the whole child welfare issue. Yeah, <laughs> I, I get it. There's nothing like that. Yep. Any, any closing comments you have for me? Uh, I think it'll just be taking what you just said uh, and agreeing wholeheartedly with it. I am totally about spending money in the wisest way possible. There's so much money out there that we could be using more effectively. And you can think 
kind of narrowly in terms of even just the child welfare system, you know, moving more upstream, doing more to prevent children from ever needing out-of-home placement, acknowledging that in rare circumstances that may still be necessary. But then even thinking societally, you know, if we prevent children from entering out-of-home care, we're reducing all sorts of negative outcomes from the trauma and disruption in the family life that comes from removing a child and putting them in out-of-home care. We're talking about juvenile justice costs. We're talking about criminal justice. We're talking about lost wages uh, moving forward, all sorts of these ripple effects. Um, and then even before child welfare, we can be talking about prenatal interventions. We can t- be talking about all of these other things. And then, of course, it goes generationally. So it just snowballs in terms of the benefits that can come to our society by taking a look at Where are we putting our money? Is the money going to the best, most efficient, effective services and interventions possible? And if not, what can we do about it? When we have our kids that are in our child welfare system, highly traumatized, moved into a system that maybe they shouldn't be in, but they are in, and we try to do the best we can with them, try to get them back. But in that trauma, we begin to see for a small population of that, they begin to act out. Now they go into the feeder system for the DJJ. So a lot of times that DJJ system then puts it back out into our system and it messes, messes up with all our stuff going on. And then that's a feeder system to the criminal justice. All of that is a major drain on the resources of our citizens. There's a better way of spending that money. Absolutely. And uh, Child Trends is on the forefront of this. Christina, you did wonderful. Thank you for your time today. And I look forward to working with you. We're going to have you back down here in Florida to help us with some of the things we're working on. But uh, thank you and, and, and your team nationally for the work, great work that you do. Thank you for joining us, Nurturing Wellbeing. Thank you for having me.